Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District by Horizon Capital, where we partner with B2B SaaS companies and help them scale with both capital and our growth marketing playbook. This episode is also sponsored by our partners at Build, a startup development studio that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable revenue generating software businesses. Product development is often a challenge for non-technical founders who don't have a tech person internally. That's where Build comes in. They help founders build and launch their MVPs, test the market, and find product market fit. For 15K and roughly a month's work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've all been burnt by the companies that promised this for years. But Build is focused on finding product market fit and will do that by keeping you away from the feature creep and escalating costs that do most initial products. They keep costs low with the block structure, but more importantly, they have already built great products on scope and on time for founders. Companies they've worked with have generated hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue, gotten into Y Combinator, or raised money at eight-figure valuations. If you have an idea and want to see it come to life as a product, head over to build.com. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com today. In today's episode, we'll be talking about managing legal risks for digital documents and contracts. Today, we have our guest, Charles Breck, joining us. Charles is the founder and CEO of Legislate. Uh, they're an early-stage legal tech startup which allows large landlords, letting agents, and small businesses to easily create, sign, and manage contracts that are prudent and fair. Their platform is built on its patented, patented knowledge graph, which streamlines the contracting process and aggregates contract stats to quickly unlock valuable insights. Uh, interesting stat. Uh, Charles was also one of the first employees of Mind Foundry, which is an Oxford University University spinout which specializes in automated data science and AI. So super impressive, Charles. I'm uh, super excited to have you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, so I, let's let's talk about your product, your market. Uh, you know, just to give a little bit of background for the people listening in, who are you guys really helping? You know, I mentioned a few people. Uh, you know, type of markets you're targeting. Who are you guys helping when it comes to that? Those types of agreements which you guys help to settle and create and let people, uh, you know, sign through your platform? Yeah. So, you know, ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to make contracts machine readable so that you don't need a lawyer in the loop because, you know, most agreements, I call them lawyer readable, meaning, you know, requires legal expertise to understand how the contract structured, whether it's a good contract. Um, and that's great if you're a lawyer, but the majority of us are not lawyers. Um, the majority of businesses don't have legal teams. So really what we're trying to do is we're making contracts machine readable so that technology can automate the creation of those contracts. And then second of all, make the data in those contracts searchable post-signature because that tends to be, you know, one of the biggest bottlenecks post-signature is, you know, matching invoices to payment terms, which are described in contracts. Or you know, setting up services which are described in the contracts. It's a real manual and painful process, and and we streamline the end to end, not just you know the template, not just the signature, but really the end to end because you know contracts are holistic, um, and you know have a journey, and and we're that's really what we're trying to automate. So to answer your question about you know who are we helping, we're helping as you said landlords, letting agents to do their property agreements. Uh, we work quite a lot with small businesses and startups to help with their employment contracts, uh, maybe some basic sales contracts and consultancy agreements. Um, th there really are no limits to what type of contracts we can work with, but we've started with 
agreements which um, where there's a lot of demand and contracts which typically you know might require a lawyer initially to set things up, but you know going forward um, it's very hands off and that way you know we're working with non lawyers they create contracts but they're not lawyers um, and and that way we're also not competing too much with lawyers because um, you know as an early stage startup it's really important to to build that first market and niche. Of course, yeah. I mean, I, I guess when things get a little more complicated and there's a lot more involved, um, you know, and, and you can afford the lawyer at that point, then it makes sense. But you know, you also don't want to go with a copy and paste contract that you don't fully understand. So this is kind of a middle ground. So, okay, I don't I'm not ready for a lawyer. I don't want something free, but this is a good option that you know probably checks off 90, 90 or ninety five percent of the boxes. Um, now, which is different, which you guys have when you compare versus like a DocuSign or any of those the, these docu these uh, platforms which help you sign uh, documents or contracts which you upload. Um, you guys actually have all these templates built, right? And you try to give that kind of support and say, I mean, that's kind of your huge feature, which is like not only giving the platform, we're giving you templates. So we're almost like a whole lawyer in one. Um, I mean, who's creating these? Are, do you have a lawyer on the team who's just constantly creating all these documents and and and, and uh, taking is that part of your product feedback loop, which you're you're asking uh, users, okay, what else can we create? And then you just say, all right, here, lawyer, let's uh, person on our team, can you please create this for us? Um, how does that work? Exactly. So we have a legal team and we've got a chief legal officer who kind of manages the whole process. Um, we source our templates from the same legal libraries that law firms will source theirs from, except wow. what we do is we, you know, we will simplify the language so that non-lawyers can actually understand the, the contents of the agreements. And we also um, then work with our clients to work out you know, what are the clauses which are relevant to their business? Because if you go to a law firm or a legal library, they'll throw everything that they can possibly think of, um, which in 99% of cases isn't actually market standard or relevant, which is also why you, when you work with lawyers, you do tend to end up with more negotiation because, you know, you, you start off with terms which are very biased or, you know, uh, in, in one side's favor, when really if you start with market standard, then there is no negotiation at the end of the day around you know the legal language. So we our legal team works with our clients to kind of work out what is market standard, what should be included, and then we simplify uh, the language. And and then afterwards it goes through our, a tech process of dissecting the the contracts into parameters, which are then fed into the knowledge graph. And then in that knowledge graph, we apply rules to um, control the input parameters so that you don't actually end up creating a contract which doesn't make sense or isn't enforceable. So we'll never really allow you to input, you know, garbage. Um, and we'll never allow you to input, you know, terms which are unreasonable, uh, not legal or unenforceable. So that's kind of, you know, how the platform works and how our legal team works. But just because you mentioned, um, you know, DocuSign and other e-signing platforms at the beginning, they optimize for speed of signature. Right. And with Legislate, you can sign quickly because it's a digital process. But really what we're trying to optimize is the ability of our you know, customers and, and people signing contracts to understand what they're signing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. You've actually, so you've actually taken you know, principles from, uh, from the lawyer you know, way of thinking, approaching it and used you know, take some of those controls and, and implement it using technology to help enforce it and, and set the you know manage the risk around you know being a free for all, but also using you know some legal uh, you know s- 
you know, some some terminology or, or way of practices into the actual text. So that's cool. I, I, did you guys start with, you know, building the library and, you know, becoming like a template company or, or did you guys start with a signature platform and then or did you have both at the same time? Like where, where did that journey kind of start? So the signature uh, at Legislate is really just the cherry on the top because we, you know, we believe in the end-to-end process. So um, it isn't actually possible to use Legislate without using our templates. Mm. We can only work with a client's templates if they, you know, feed them to us and then we will, you know, convert oh, them right. and add them. But but ultimately, you know, for 99% of our customers, they will come to us with no templates. They'll use our templates. And even if they think they have templates, what they often find is that our templates are better um, because they're mm. more up to date, they're maintained. You know, maybe they bought their templates from a law firm, but it was two years ago. And in two years, a lot can happen. So For it's sure. just, you know, easier and more efficient to, to work mm. with our templates. And, and that's why we kind of, you know, we, we got started with both. Mm. Makes sense. Uh, and then when it comes to, you know, the biggest thing, if I'm thinking I'm a business and I say, okay, uh, I might want to try out Legislate. Uh, I might use that for my, I'm looking to hire, you know, my team and build out some new documentation around that. Uh, one option is go to a lawyer. And, I, you know, maybe in my mind, I've, I've, you know, de-risked myself, right? Because the lawyer knows what he's doing. I'm just going to pay him for that problem. And then the other side is like, okay, but I also have this option of using Legislate, but there's the risk around that. Can you talk about what are some of the legal risks of, you know, if I decide to sign through you guys that maybe I can prevent versus just going the legal, legal route to using a lawyer? Yeah. So, you know, I think uh, lawyers are great and we're not actually trying to replace lawyers. Mm. If you think about lawyers and what they enjoy doing and what they're good at, they really are good at advising on which contract should you use for your specific situation or what might be the consequences of entering into this type of deal. That's what they enjoy doing, what they're good at. Um, when it comes to actually drafting contracts, reviewing contracts, that's not typically something a lawyer will do. They will hand it off to their paralegal. Their paralegal will will do all the work. And then if a lawyer gets dragged into that process, you know, it, it's 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 not it's never really a top priority, um, you know, for them because you know lawyers are, are time poor. So really, you know, when it comes to using legislate, what you're doing is you're setting your business up for the future. So yes, you could you know source a template from a lawyer, a one-off template, which is effectively an unstructured document that you'll need to maintain yourself. You know, whenever there's a legal update, um, which you know editing templates or you know is, is is risky anyway. With legislate, you don't need to worry about templates anymore. That's the first thing because you know we we keep track of the legal updates ourselves. We update everything accordingly so that you don't actually you know need to worry about having a contract which has clauses which are irrelevant or out of date or illegal because a new law has passed. So that's, you know, mm. the, the first, first thing. And, you know, that that's, um, you know, what you're, you're unlocking with the legislature. But the second thing is the data in your contracts. And if you have all your contracts in unstructured form, whether that's a PDF or even paper format, um, you know, you can't just say, okay, I have, I know that I've, got 10 employees that are on a 30-day notice period. You can't manually track that um, data separately. So with Legislate, you have the ability to query that data at any point in time. Um, and especially as you start to hire more employees and grow as a business, um, you then have all that data in one place, which 
is great for you know the business decisions, but it's also great for automate automating your compliance. So you mm. can easily and automatically report on um, you know gender pay gap reporting. You can um, you know automatically if you're going through due diligence, say, yep, here's the due diligence spreadsheet of you know what are what contracts we have and and what terms they contain. So you're you're saving a lot of time. You're automating compliance um, and you know, in terms of risks that happen with contracts, I'd say the the biggest risk is is simply to not use a contract, or you know, use a contract which wasn't tailored for you, because every business is unique, um, and you know, not using a contract or, or using the wrong contract uh, puts yourself at risk or gives you a false sense of protection. When mm-hmm. you know, in reality, you know, maybe you haven't sufficiently protected your intellectual property. Um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of you know specific risks, and uh, that we don't necessarily need to go into the detail. But but really, you know, it's good to have the right contracts and to be able to track the data in those contracts automatically. Right. I think we were talking about before the show, right? Like you said, this is kind of just a perceived risk. But you know, a lot of time we call these agreements and contracts, and that's the point. But they're more, you know, this the only time you look at them is when you're in a disagreement. And I think the idea is what you're saying is like, okay, we we probably have we have most of this covered. At least the points are there, and a legal team has vetted this. We've we've you know talked in the industry. We understand what are the risks that could happen. We have these in place, these measures. And if we do get to the point of we disagreement, we had we've included this part, so you know you didn't miss it, right? And I think that's the missing. Well, we feel the burden is like, okay, I gave it to a lawyer, and if he missed it, now I can put the blame on him, right? But um, in this case, you're taking care of that ahead of time, which I love. Um, so we talked a little about features, which is you know I love the, the idea that you can actually scan the document because you know when you come to Legal term and there's a hundred page document. I mean, there's nothing worse than having to read it to review it. So that's awesome. Is there any other, uh, you know, other functionalities like you know AI? I know you you come with that kind of background working that space being used in the, in the contract creation process. Or, or tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the the knowledge graph which um, we've patented and kind of maps out the data in the contracts that is a, a branch of AI um, that does the opposite of what machine learning does. So it's called semantic reasoning and it applies logic to find patterns in data and infer new relationships as opposed to machine learning, which is trying to induce patterns uh, from the data. So, so we, the reason why we took the semantic approach is because when it comes to contracts, it needs to be 100% certain. It can't, you can't afford to be you know, 99% certain, which is you know, ultimately with machine learning, it'll always be at best 99.999%. But mm. with a contract, you know, there's, it needs to be 100%. There's no mm-hmm. compromise on that front. So that's why we mm-hmm. took that approach. Um, and knowledge graphs are great at modeling relationships. It's how Google organizes the web and makes the web searchable. So um, it's great at kind of deducing in a very efficient way, you know, what is the answer um, mm-hmm. based on, you know, all this information and, and also logic, relationships, uh, entities. So we're applying that to contracts um, and so that you can answer questions like how many of my software developers that have been with me for over a year are still on a 30-day notice period um, or, you know, because maybe actually they've become senior and now we need to put them on um, a senior employment contract with a longer notice period, more restrictions. So, or how many, you know, employees report to this line manager because, you know, something's just happened with them and we need to work out the damage. So, you know, you, you can't really um, answer those questions efficiently and in real time without knowledge graph. So that's kind of 
how we're using um, AI today. But where I want us to use AI in the future is as we start to aggregate data from our users and, and obviously anonymize the data, we can also then help you know customers who are creating contracts for the first time understand what is standard you know for their industry you know or for this job title right you know, what what is a standard restriction period because a lot of non lawyers they maybe they've created contracts maybe once or twice but they don't know what they should actually be putting in their contracts you know same for an nda what is a reasonable term for my industry you know and and that's why we want to use machine learning to be able to help customers kind of understand how to fill their contracts and then maybe a step further help them optimize their parameters based on how quickly they want contracts to be signed. Mm. And uh, is, is the market that you're targeting, does your contracts, you know, are they more applicable to the UK market or is this kind of, you know, applicable across? Because I imagine, you know, regulations are different in every country or? Yeah, so the technology can be applied anywhere. Um, really what we have is a legal bottleneck that we need to um, solve. So right now our focus is, uh, you know, the UK. But over the next 12 months, we'll be expanding into other jurisdictions, including the US. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by DoFollow.io, a premium link building agency specializing in driving SEO growth for SaaS companies. Do you have great content and want to boost your organic traffic to your website? Get links on high-quality websites such as MSN, HubSpot, Zendesk, Cloudways, and hundreds of others. DoFollow.io can get you guaranteed results for less than the cost of hiring an in-house SEO completely hands-off, no retainer, 100% performance-based, and cancel anytime. If you're interested, book a call now at DoFollow.io and start outranking your competitors today. Um, so one part which I'm interested in, and this this may be different now. I never encountered this case, you know, during or after COVID, which is the difference between you know, e-signatures being allowed and versus wet signatures, especially when it comes to, you know, like banks, you know, government documentation, banking documentation. Um, there's a lot of documents, even real estate, where I remember, I, like, I tried to send them an e-signature. This was three or four years ago, and they're just like, no, we won't accept it. I'm like, well, we can. I said, well, let's use DocuSign or this, you know, this one of these things in the past, and they were just like. No, it has to be physically signed. Or so, from your perspective, and, and I don't know if that was just a thing in, in Canada. You know, I know you work more in the UK market. Are e-signatures, you know, legally binding as wet signatures? And then, where what are the scenarios you think that you know it is important? It has to be in person, and, and I can't mm. think of it. So, you know, in in, in the UK, uh, e-signatures are recognised. There are a number mm. of you know uh, criteria around you know what makes a e-signature perfectly valid, mm. but you know, I do think that the pandemic has helped, um, you know, change mindsets around signatures. I know that um, in the UK, nearly all documents can be e-signed. There are certain ones that, especially around the sale of a property, that still require um, wet signatures. But that is actually, you know, there is motions in place to actually change that. So I do think, you know, maybe in 10 years' time, you know, everything will be electronically signed and, and, you know, that will be the situation. But I think if you think about, um, you know, wet signatures, they've created certain concepts, like, I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but in the UK, certain signatures need to be witnessed, meaning, um, you know, a witness needs to sign saying, yep, um, my name is Charles and I live here and I've witnessed, 
John signed this contract mm-hmm. um, and this is their signature. Um, the whole concept of witnessing, you know, makes sense when in, in a, um, you know, real world setting where you're, you're signing physically. But if you're signing electronically, then the server is witnessing you sign. So it's, it's automatically witnessing and it's much more reliable than, you know, some random person in a room, exactly. you know, saying, yes, they signed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you're just taking that person's word. Um, so, exactly. so I think, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, benefits of going to electronic signatures aside from just the speed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is where the world is heading. Yeah, I've seen some cool functionalities of like security features where they'll send you a text message um, to verify your account or your name. And I mean, for me, I mean, it's very, you know, uh, the, the chances that somebody else has your phone and signing for you or, or, you know, going to your email and actually opening it up and then signing for you is, is a lot lower, right? So the fact that they have to send you an email and then you have to sign it, I mean, it's probably more realistic than if somebody was actually beside you signing it, right, as a, as a witness. And, and then you have the audit trail as well of, yeah. you know, even if someone did hack your phone and sign on your behalf, then you'd have the digital audit trail of everything to prove that that's what happened. That's true. Exact time, exact moment where, yeah, sometimes IP address where it was signed. And I said, okay, I wasn't even there. You can say I was in this location or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, okay. And, and then I, I want to talk about kind of opportunity in this space, right? Yeah, I'm not too familiar with legal tech. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I'm a, I imagine there's a lot of opportunity there. If I'm a, maybe a new SaaS founder, somebody looking in to get into this space of legal tech, what are, how do you feel we're being served right now in terms of what's available in, tech, in terms of this, the vendors in the market or what kind of other SaaS companies? And, um, you know, if you were to see an area of opportunity, what would you, would you see as like, okay, this is an area that's, you know, uh, that somebody should look at tackling. Yeah. So I think, you know, legal tech is, is definitely, you know, a market that has been slower or, you know, a lot smaller than, you know, let's say fintech. Um, some people are now saying that legal tech is where fintech was five years ago. So it's, it's still very early days, both in terms of the companies, but also in terms of adoption. Mm. And the reason I think is because most, um, you know, legal tech found, founders are, you know, ex-lawyers and mm. most legal tech companies are trying to optimize lawyers mm. or optimize the tools that lawyers work with, which again is great if you're a lawyer, mm. um, but not so good if you're not a lawyer. So so I think where there's a lot of opportunity is around um, democratizing whether it's legal tools or legal services for non-lawyers directly. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've taken, what the approach we've taken for, for contracts. You know, we're a tool. Obviously, lawyers do use us because they think it's great for preparing their contracts and delegating the platform to the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, we've built the product so that it's easy enough for a non-lawyer. And I think the biggest opportunity in legal tech is catering for that market directly, as opposed to catering for that market indirectly by, you know, helping the lawyers that might already be catering that market. Mm, makes sense. Um, and then is there anything, um, maybe if you're, if you're seeing what's available in this space and there's, uh, you know, there's already some legal tech companies that are, you know, implementing this, is there anything that you see that they should be doing differently or? Uh, in, in terms of the process or in terms of technology? I mean, with your background in AI, I imagine there's a lot of things that come up. That yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, t- to be honest, there really aren't that many companies building solutions for non-lawyers directly. 
mm-hmm. um, which is why I think it is hard for me to to comment because yeah. I feel like a lot of the the legal tech companies are catering for legal teams or, or lawyers, and they're doing a great job at that. And you know, I think there's there's room for both because at the end of the day, you know, lawyers aren't going to disappear. They need their own tools. And um, and really, what we're just doing is allowing more more users to benefit from the same type mm. of um, tools. Nice, I love it. So using the legal route, the technology, but more not for lawyers for for a different market, which is yeah. which is great. Cool. Well, this has been great, Charles. I really appreciate kind of you sharing your knowledge and background. Uh, so I'd like to kind of shift gears and move towards the personal, more rapid fire questions. So you know, obviously, they just you take your time in terms of answering it, but they'll just be quick kind of questions. Um, Mm-hmm. So you ready to ready to go there, bro? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, so I want to start off. Tell me a little bit more about legislate. Uh, where are you guys in terms of size today? And have you guys raised outside capital, or if so, yeah. how much have you raised? More. So we're a team of twelve, and we've raised one point fifteen million pounds. Okay. Cool. Um, what's one activity you enjoy outside of work? So this can be you know you're working or doing a podcast. Um, that you say gets you into flow state and, and you enjoy doing? I am lazy. So, I mean, on, on the physical activity side, but sure. when I get my mind to it and I go jogging in the morning before work, that does tend to get me into uh, the flow state. Okay, nice. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known? And if you can go back and you would tell your, let's say 25-year-old self, you look like a pretty young, but let's use that. So I actually started legislate when I was 25. Okay. Um, I think, um, I mean, maybe I would have said don't start a company just yet mm. simply because, you know, there are benefits to having more experience, having more of a network, having more of a track record for, you know, it, it makes, it should in theory make life easier. Um, but on the other hand, maybe, uh, you know, things have, wouldn't, wouldn't have happened, you know, the same way maybe legislate wouldn't exist. So, so I, I think, you know, I think really the, the only piece of advice to my 25 year old self is, um, you know, not everything will go to plan. And, you know, when things seem like the end of the world, it rarely is. And, and you just need to move on. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's adv- that advice applies for, I think every stage of your life or a different scenario. So that's awesome. Um, Charles, what are some of the, you know, it's talk about end of the world, but you know, it's also challenges on day-to-day basis right now. What are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing in order to continue to grow legislate? Meaning what's keeping you up at night these days? So I think for us, it's, and it's probably the same for most, um, software businesses is how do you get more customers? We've just recently crossed the milestone of hundred paying customers, but you know, it, we always need to grow. We always need to, you know, maintain growth levels, which appeal to current and future investors. And, um, and I think, you know, that that's something which keeps me up at night. Nice. Um, who or what are the best three resources? These can be books, they can be people, mentors, or maybe just people you follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years as you're building your company. I think um, my favorite book is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss that, you know, probably everyone has read by now. But what I liked about the book is you could really, it was very practical. So you could test 
you know, almost everything that he talks about, all those techniques, strategies, and and you can quickly see results. Mm-hmm. And I feel it has definitely helped me in my career, um, you know, both before and now at Legislate. So, because, uh, yeah, life is a negotiation and ultimately with, with customers, you, you need to, you know, win them over somehow. Mm-hmm. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, great book. Any other books or people you follow in the space? Well, another, um, you know, great book that was actually referenced by Chris Voss is How to Become a Rainmaker. Mm-hmm. And it's a very, you know, thought 100 page book, which is just a bunch of rules, but um, again, very practical uh, and, and quite useful. How to make, how to be a rainmaker. Is that the name of it? Quite I think so. Yeah. If you yeah. search on Amazon, you'll, you'll find it. Find, okay, cool. We'll add those links to the show notes for people to check out and download um, or order in, in paper. Uh, Charles, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, you know, business, financial, life, I guess there's no right answer. I think that changes over time. Yes. I mean, um, you know, we're a team of 12 and we obviously are a startup, so not yet profitable. And, you know, we, we need to do more fundraising. We, we need to grow the business. We need to get more customers. And, you know, for me, success will be when I don't really need to worry about, you know, paying everyone's salaries, you know, or needing to worry about there not being a business because we're on a good trajectory. There's, you know, a clear path towards profitability or even maybe we're already profitable. Um, it's not that I'm, you know, not not confident that we'll get there, but but I think, you know, for me, that's what successful will be will be like and, and when I'll be able to just, you know, relax a bit more. Yeah, the real struggle, right? People listening in. I mean, that's a, that's a real thing when you go down the the VC route, when you're trying to raise and, you know, build a startup. It's it's not easy. You know, it's a responsibility taking on a few million dollars in your bank account. Maybe you got to put it to work and and keep, exactly. your, keep your company afloat, right? It's not it's not just fun and games. Yeah. And, and ironically, you know, you've got to, you know, put, put the money to work, uh, literally, mm-hmm. to the point of, maybe not having any money left because yeah. that's ultimately what will lead to the growth. So it's a, you know, quite a, a bit of a gamble, but um, yeah. quite exciting. Chicken and egg. But if you, if you hit it properly, I mean, everybody's happy, right? And yeah. just got to be careful, keep an eye on it. And when you know, when you have to go or you have to make changes or go out and raise, you, you have to do it and you have no choice. Yeah. choice. Cool. Uh, this is awesome, Charles. Um, you know, people listening in, founders or marketers or consultants, anyone in the SaaS space wants to get in touch with you, learn more about you and your company, where's the best place to go? Yeah, so our website is legislate.tech and you know we're obviously on socials, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and yeah, I can be found on, on LinkedIn as well. You can search my name and there aren't that many Charles Brex in the world. <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, I'll add your LinkedIn link as well to, the, to, to our show notes. So thank you so much, Charles. I really appreciate you jumping on today. I'm sure everybody enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you, Akil. It was a lot of fun. All right. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.